We are in week two of a three-week series on hope, and tonight we'll be looking at the hope of glory, okay? The hope of glory. We're going to look about and talk about what's that, what that's all about and what that's supposed to work in us. So would you physically or digitally uh, on your phones turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, just by... Way of reminder, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and when I share, I love to actually flip to the passages together because I know that it's not my word that will change you, but it is the word of God. And so tonight, just full disclosure, there's going to be a lot of scripture because we're going to talk about the doctrine of glorification. This is our hope of glory. So I'll give you a little bit of time to flip over to 1 John chapter 3. It is towards the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, we'll read this, I'll share another word of prayer, and then I'll outline our time this evening. All right, we're all there? 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the word of God says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Another word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. You yourself describe your word, Lord, as a living, active sword. We ask, Lord, that you would use your word to cut away the the places of our heart that are not honoring to you. We also, Lord, ask that you would use your word to encourage us. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that as we take this moment and the moments to come to pause and think about your scriptures, that we would be hearing your voice. I pray, Jesus, that by your spirit, you would disciple us into the image of Christ and that we would hear and see Jesus this evening. We pray this for your glory. And in Jesus' name, we say amen. 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 The outline for this evening, I want to talk about five different things, including application. Number one, who has this hope? Number two, the cost of this hope. Number three, what this, what is this hope and uh, what is this hope in action? And then spend some time of application. So number one, who has this hope? Read with me again, chapter three, verses one, the first part. Behold, the apostle John writes, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Pause there. The word behold in scripture means stop. And give attention to, focus in on, or in today's language, bro, check this out, okay? So John is saying, in regards to this hope, behold, check this out, and notice what he says. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. This hope that we're talking about tonight, this hope of glory, belongs to the deeply and unconditionally loved children of God. This is good news because if you are a believer today in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, so this hope belongs to you. And as children of God, we are the recipients of the deep and unconditional love of God. Notice what John says here. Behold, what manner or what 
depth of love the Father has bestowed, that word is given on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, not that God does anything that is unnecessary, but there is a real sense that our being called children of God is totally extra. It's like the icing on top of the cake of our salvation. Like in our redemption story, it was more than enough for us to be declared righteous. It was more than enough for us to be declared holy. It's more than enough that we're accepted. But God, because of who he is, totally goes the extra mile to say, guess what? You're my children too. Redemption was enough. Acceptance was enough. Holiness is enough. But he says, get this. You're my children. And what manner of love he has given to us that we would be called the children of God. Now, I know in a room this size, some of us may not have a deep appreciation for this term because of earthly father wounds. And for that, my heart goes out to you. And I pray that you would heal and experience the depth of love that God has for you as your heavenly father. But notice that John the apostle is writing And he was a man who saw how Jesus treated children. And if you're coming tonight with father wounds, my heart does go out to you. But this term that we are the children of God is totally different from how any earthly father in their sinful nature has ever treated you. God's love for us is holy and it's perfect. But you think about the Gospels. How did John the Apostle see Jesus relate to the children? I love this, that in the Gospels, the children are being brought by the parents, and they're running up to Jesus, which I love. There there had to be something about Jesus' face that had been so warm, so warm enough that the children were okay, like running up to him, and the disciples were rebuking the parents and rebuking the children, and Jesus says, actually, no, the children, let the little children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I, I love that Jesus relates to the children in a warm and welcoming manner. And I know that, that, that Jesus has the same heart for you as his child. He is always welcoming you into his presence. He rebukes those who would cause division between you and him, and he is continually pursuing your heart. You know, just by way of personal example, a theme of God's love that I've been learning being a new dad is that God is proud to call us his children. I look at my son, John, who is almost three months old now, and I feel an overwhelming sense of pride. In fact, there's a, there's a little photo that I airdropped. Look at this little guy. Come on. This was him taking a nap today with uh, his auntie Katie, but look at those pillow cheeks, man. My son, John, I sent this this picture to my mom and she goes, oh, he looks like a little rice bun. I'm like, thanks mom. He does. Like, I do want to eat his cheeks right there. But John, my son, doesn't have to do anything in order for me to feel proud of him. In fact, he really doesn't bring anything to the table right now. He's not paying rent. (laughs) All he does is eat, sleep, and poop. Yet I'm proud of him, and I'm proud to be his father. And, and, And this is the tiniest picture of how God the Father in Jesus feels for us, his children. We don't have to do anything in order for the father to be proud of us. Um, He is just so proud that we are his children. What an amazing love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children 
of God. So what is this hope? When we talk about hope in the biblical sense, because this hope belongs to the children of God, hope is always defined as the active, confident expectation of good based on the character of God. Okay, whenever you see hope in scripture, it's never like, I hope this will happen, I hope this will happen. No, it's, I hope this will happen, and I know it's going to happen. This is the blessing that we get to receive as children of God. This hope is an earnest, active, confident expectation of good based on not our faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of God and his character towards us. This hope is given to us. Uh, This hope is given to the deeply loved children of God. And, And aren't we truly so blessed with the good gifts from our Heavenly Father? We really are. Not only that we're redeemed, not only that we're set apart and holy, not only that we're accepted, but we are his children. And as his children, we get to have this active, earnest hope. So what is this hope specifically? We'll get there. But first, let's talk about the cost of hope, because John in his writings says this. Behold, verse 1 again, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Here's the cost. Therefore, cause and effect, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. So, There is a real cost for being a child of God. There is a real cost for being a hope receiver. And the cost of being a child and having this hope that we will talk about is being unknown in the world. It says this, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, I think John is writing to the real primal need in all of humanity to to find significance and or be significant. You have ever ever wrestled with that? What is my purpose? What is my significance? I, I need to find something worth my time. We're all built to have significance because actually in our DNA spiritually, we were made to be significant in Jesus Christ. We lost that in the fall through Adam, but Jesus now gives us again that significance. But As children of God, I believe John is writing, he's saying this, we should not look for approval, identity, or significance from things of the world. And why? Because we are far too loved to be compared with lesser things. But there is in us the tendency to find significance in the world or the things of the world, to be filled by the things of the world. And John says this, hey, as a child of God, you forfeit those things because they can never satisfy in the first place. But know this, they treated Jesus harshly, they will treat you harshly as well. And I'm always encouraged that the cost of being a child of God is that we get to identify with Jesus in all things, but also in his sufferings. And if the world treated Jesus poorly, we should expect also to be treated poorly. It shouldn't be a surprise to us when the world rejects us. The world rejects us, not hopefully because not because we're being obnoxious Christians, but because they don't know us, because we don't know the world, because we are so totally separate and we're called the children of God. So the cost of this hope is that the world will not satisfy us, And where we once found temporary significance from the things of the world, now there's nothing for us because now we are the children of God. My question for you as we continue to talk about this is, are you okay with that? Are you okay with forfeiting your glory here on earth for the glory that is to come? Are you okay with being unknown in the world because the world did not know Jesus? Or do you want to set up your own kingdom apart from his kingdom? I'll say this. You can do that, but you'll tire yourself out, and that can never satisfy your soul. We were made for him. 
So what is this hope? We have this hope as children of God. There is a cost to this hope, but what is this hope? Look at verse two. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he, speaking of Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love this. He, John, says that we're beloved. <laughs> we're the children of God. We're the beloved children of God. John reminds us that we're deeply loved by God, and he calls us his beloved. But now that we are the children of God here on earth, there is a reality that is coming for us that we don't know quite yet, but it is this hope of glory. Notice John writes this. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, so there's a, still a bit of a mystery, but we know a certain knowing that when he is revealed, whatever that looks like, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Now, we are currently, presently, the children of God, and there is a future destiny of glorification as the beloved children of God. And so what is this hope? This is the hope of glory. This is called the doctrine of glorification, the doctrine of glorification. I'm going to leave up this definition for you. You can take a photo of it or write it down, but this is important. Glorification is God's final removal of sin from the life of saints in the eternal state. Instead of being mortals burdened with sin nature, saints will be changed into holy immortals with direct and unhindered access to God's presence, and we will enjoy holy communion with him throughout eternity. This is the doctrine of glorification. Now, I said that we're going to spend some time in the scriptures, and so here is, here is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the stages of our salvation, you can kind of break them into three distinct parts. They're all one in salvation, but there's three distinct parts. Glorification is that final part of our salvation, but you can say this. We start as being justified or justification. We continue in sanctification, and one day we will be glorified. This is our glorification. So let's talk about justification. We know this. Justification is another fancy way of saying you're declared righteous. Or I love this play on words. Justification, just as if I've never sinned and just as if I've always obeyed. This is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Just as if I've never sinned, declared righteous, and just as if I've always obeyed. I'm pure. Galatians 2.16, let's turn there. Galatians 2.16. Put your finger in First John. Let's turn to Galatians 2.16. Because this doctrine of justification, sanctification, and glorification, this is something that we need to be familiar with because this is actually what our salvation is doing in us currently. So Galatians 2.16. Paul writes in Galatians 2.16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Okay, so here we have this word justified. We're declared righteous. And Paul writing to the church in Galatia, or the region of Galatia, I should say, he says this, you're not justified by fulfilling the law. You could actually never fulfill the law. This is the problem of the law. It's perfect and good, but you can never live up to it. That's why we needed the same 
savior, right? This is Jesus. But people in the legalistic mindset were trying to be justified or declared righteous by their keeping of the law. Paul writes this, you can't. And and you're never going to be justified by the works of the law, but you're justified by faith. And, And the faith is not just faith, but it's faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. So when we place our faith in Jesus, we are declared righteous, not because we've done anything to merit it. We can't do that, but because of our simple faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. A lot of Bible flipping. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Speaking about our justification, Paul writes to the church in Rome. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by works, no, by faith again, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and glory of God. So here is continually the doctrine of justification, that we're justified by faith, and get, get this, because we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. All unbelievers, I like to say pre-believers because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, is at enmity with God. But our faith in Jesus Christ gives us peace with God. God is no longer warring against us. He is actually communing with us because our sins have been paid for through Jesus Christ. So we're no longer at war. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom also he writes that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the glory of God. So again, this starting out salvation, this is where we're declared righteous. This is justification. Last one, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21, as we talk about justification. I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul also writes, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God made Jesus to be sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So this is the doctrine of justification. Turn to your neighbor who is a believer and say, you are justified. What a, what a beautiful truth that is. And it's good that we're turning to these scriptures, and I hope you're making note of these things, because the enemy loves to say, you're not saved. You've messed up. You continually messed up. And, and so how could God ever love you? But you can say, hey, wait a second, I've been justified. I've been declared righteous. It's not ever by the things I've done or the things that I will do, but by my simple faith in Jesus Christ. So I can use the word of God to combat the lives of the enemy and put my soul at rest and say, I am justified for the glory of God, not because I'm good, but because God is good. Amen? So this is the starting point of our salvation. Again, we are saved We're being saved. We will be saved. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Let's talk about sanctification. Sanctification is the practical walking out of our justification. I like to describe it in this way. There's upstairs theology and downstairs theology, okay? Upstairs theology, we're declared righteous. We're holy. Downstairs, we're working that out. We're not there yet. 
Though God sees us as perfectly righteous and holy, every day we're in sin wrestling, um, trying to put the old man down. He's, he's crucified, he's in the grave, but he has a way of popping back up, right? And so it's the practical working out of our justification. Upstairs, God sees us holy, righteous, accepted, children of God. Downstairs theology, I'm trying to be submitted to the work of the Spirit to continually have me to be holy, righteous, the way God sees me. So this is not for salvation. This is because I am saved already. So this is sanctification, the practical walking out of justification. Um, Sanctification means we are being set apart from all darkness to be of better usefulness to the Lord, okay? So we're being sanctified, we're being set apart, we're declared, we're we're becoming holy just because we're declared holy by God. So this is the process that begins at the moment of justification and ends at our final glorification. So there will be an end to the sanctification process. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) There will be one day where we're like, yes, there's no more sin. That's in our glorified state. We'll get there. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Where do we get this doctrine of sanctification? 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all... Speaking about the church, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, Paul says we are being transformed. There's an image of God's glory, and we're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And get this, this is by the Spirit of the Lord. He is the one that sanctifies us. We are the one to agree with that work and not fight against that work of sanctification but it's the Spirit's job to complete the good work in us until the day of Jesus Christ. So we are being transformed. We have one degree of glory because we're justified, but we're being transformed every day from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Uh, Just as uh, Jesus is our pattern, so we will look like him, and this is by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, Hebrews 10.14. A lot of Bible, but I love it. Do you guys love it? Good. Hebrews 10.4. Speaking about our sanctification, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews, sorry, 10, 14, Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So in Jesus, his one offering of himself has perfected us. We are justified forever. Those who are being sanctified. So there's a real understanding that I am justified, I am righteous, but I'm continually uh, uh, being sanctified. For by one offering of Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, being set apart. Okay, last one. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's my fault. That's a typo on my fault. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. That's my fault. Thank you for catching that, Vern. Yeah, there's obviously not a Philippians 12, right? <laughs> Where's the tomatoes? Where's the stones? You guys didn't st- Okay, it's okay. That's all right. Okay, Philippians 2. I'm still in process, right? Sanctification. Thank you. Okay. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here's the thing, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love that phrasing, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Wait, I thought I was already saved. You are. This is the process of sanctification, that you are going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13, it is God who works in you. So it's, again, the spirit working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, I know in this room, we are a people who have been changed by the grace of God, and we're changed even in our inmost being. Have you guys ever realized or take a moment to, to um, examine how your desires have changed after meeting the Lord? Isn't that a beautiful thing where we once had a desire for something, now because we're justified, God in time and the spirit is transforming us from the inside out. He's given us the the will to do good for his good pleasure. And it's like, who am I? You know, like, who am I? And praise God that I'm not who I was yesterday and praise God that I will be transformed more tomorrow. Amen. So this is the process of, of sanctification. Okay. So we're moving on. We're justified. That's the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification. Now, here is the hope of glory that we want to camp out on here. This is the doctrine of glorification. Glorification, again, is the final state of the believer. Either we go to God or when God comes to us in his second coming. I'll say this again. Glorification is God's final removal of sin from the life of the saints in the eternal state. Instead of being mortals burdened with sin nature, saints will be changed into holy immortals with direct and unhindered access to God in his presence, and we will enjoy holy communion with him throughout eternity. So there is a day, either when we see him or he comes to us, that we, our salvation, will be finished, we will be glorified. The work of sanctification is over. God will give us new bodies. The things that we struggle in in our flesh or the physical ailments or the mental distresses that we go through, one day it'll be gone when we're glorified. Amen? We can't wait for that day. So where do we get this doctrine of glorification? We're going to read a big passage because this is the main point here. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 58. A lot of Bible. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 58. Okay, so in speaking about the new bodies we will receive, this is really cool. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 58. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There is also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. 
And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust, and is, a, and is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And... As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. This is always Jesus. The heavenly man is always Jesus. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption, amen, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. So we will all, as believers, I'll say this, I want, as believers, we will all receive a glorified body. Now, Bible commentators speculate, what is this body going to be like? Some commentaries, I like investigating these things and looking at different viewpoints. Some say, we're going to be just like Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting thought. If he's the example, I can see the logic there. And so Jesus had a physical body. He said to Thomas, touch, right, and see. So there was a real body. So, and he was also eating in John chapter 21. He's by the campfire cooking fish. So, okay, I like where we're going with here. We're still going to be able to eat in our uh, glorified bodies. But then there's an interesting part that the disciples are all gathered into the room. The doors are closed, and Jesus appears in the middle. So there's an immaterialness to that glorified state in God's you know, in, God, in Jesus' glorified body, and commentators speculate that that could be a reality for us, that we'll have a physical body, we'll be able to eat, people will be able to relate to us and touch us, and, and people will be able to identify us, but we'll have this, maybe, ability, so to speak, to appear in the room, you know? Or, in my mind, to appear in the new Hawaii, right? And I'm like, whoa, this is beautiful. I don't know. Like no more planes, no more nothing. I can just appear. I don't know. John says this, we don't know what that fully will be like, but we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him. This is the hope that we have, that this is something that we get to look forward to. And I love this saying that later is longer. Here in this body, we groan, Uh, If you know anything uh, uh, about me, I have really weak ankles. I've damaged my ankles for years uh, of playing volleyball. I I would, you know, be so careless and I would just be jumping. And a few times I would jump and I wouldn't see someone roll the ball under the net and I would come and roll over, right? And my ankle would just like, bam. And I didn't learn my lesson. I didn't wear my, my, my ankle guard. So those ankle injuries just kept on compounding and compounding and compounding. But one day in my glorified state, I'm going to have the best ankles, amen? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There, there's a sense in all of us that we can't wait for the later. 
And in fact, I would say this, that pain today has the ability to give you a hope for the later if you allow it to. Because there is going to be a day when all the physical infirmities that we face will be gone, when all the mental issues we struggle with will be gone, when all the emotional distresses that we go through on a day-to-day basis, they will be gone. And guess what? The later is longer. So if I can speak this word over you, don't give up just yet. Let that be a word from the Lord, because there is a day coming that all things will be made new. Now, we pray for healing, and God can heal. We've seen miraculous healings here at this church, but sometimes that healing won't take place until we see Jesus face to face. I can't wait for God to finally remove the sin um, and the, from, from all of the earth, from all of our life, that there's no longer going to be a wrestle against the flesh and the spirit. It's just going to be the spirit dominating us. And I love this. There's not going to be the temptation to sin because that's going to be removed. We're just going to be in perfect fellowship with him. It's kind of like the Garden of Eve, but way better because we're the children of God and we're co-heirs with Christ. Amen? Philippians three twenty to 21 Philippians 3, 20 to 21, I'll read this one. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who might, no, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. So this is a promise. This is a hope. Again, when we talk about the Christian hope, it's not like, I hope this happens. No, it's a, I hope this happens, and I know it's going to happen. So when does this glorification take place? Either when we go to see him, or he comes to see us. And so glorification means that all of our pain has an expiration date. Can I get an amen? Amen. The doctrine of glorification means that all of our pain has an expiration date. We will be perfectly conformed as believers to the image of our Lord Jesus and be like him in in, in that our humanity will be free from sin and its consequences. And guess what? This blessed hope of the hope of glory should spur us on to holiness today. Because what does hope in action look like? Verse 3, 1 John chapter 3, sorry, verse, yeah, 1 John chapter 3, verses 3. And everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, that biblical definition of hope, hope is the active confident expectation of good based on the character of God. So we have this confident expectation of good, and this is supposed to transform us today. This hope we have as the beloved children of God should purify us. He says this, he who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so we should be growing in our purity in all facets of our lives. When we hear purity, I grew up in the church where it was like kind of the purity culture. It was always in reference to like the sexual temptations, right? But purity or holiness in the biblical sense that all facets of our lives is going to be a worship service and a worship platform. It's not going to be like, I have this part of my life that is good, but don't look at this part. No, we need to be growing on all levels uh, and it should be all working towards purity. And so we need to be purified in body, soul, mind, spirit, and strength. So question, how does God purify us? Well, 
We know he purifies us through his word. His word changes us. It cuts away the things that are unpleasing to him and gives us hope for, uh, for faith and obedience today. Um, God also purifies us through hardship. James says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into those various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So there's trial and hardship that God uses if we allow, that's why I say if we submit to this work that works in us a more mature and complete faith, it's purifying our faith. But here's another way that God purifies us, by reminding us of our hope of glory. We can be loose with the things of the world. We don't have to be entangled with the things of the world because the hope of glory says that world is fading and there's a kingdom to come that will last much longer. Therefore, I don't have to get bogged down with this. I can look forward to this and keep myself unspotted from the world. Being enraptured by the kingdom to come and the gift of having unfiltered communion with Jesus one day helps us to fight the temptations to find worth in anything other than Jesus. So, Being consumed with the hope of glory to come helps us to try and not manipulate relationships or situations in order to be significant or glorious because we know that I am already significant as a child of God and there is a glory to come that I don't need to strive for. I just need to patiently wait for. So this is the hope that God will be faithful to bring us to glory and that should purify every facet of our lives. When we're tempted with the things of the horizontal, we can remind ourselves, the word of God tells us to flee those things, right? Um, the, the trials tells us that we're being uh, pressed into a more beautiful image of Jesus, but also the hope of glory should remind us, I don't need that because there is something better to come. And I have faith that later is longer. Amen? This is the hope. This is the sheer expectation that God will be faithful to bring us to glory. Again, this hope that leads to holiness and purity is that God will indeed be faithful to complete the good work that he's begun in us until the day of Christ Jesus. So here's again the encouragement. The things that we're struggling with now in this body will one day be gone. Every physical ailment, every mental struggle, every emotional distress, in our glorified state, we will be without the damaging effects of sin. But notice the standard of our purity here on earth as we look at this hope of glory. We will be pure just as Jesus is pure. This is a high standard of purity and holiness. Can I get an amen? Jesus is pure, perfectly pure. He's perfectly holy. And this is the purification standard that we are striving to accomplish by the Spirit of God. How was Jesus pure? I look at the Gospels, Jesus was pure in his love. He never loved for personal gain or stipulation. He loved unconditionally. How did Jesus love? Romans 8, uh, 5, 8. He, God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us without expecting anything in return. Now, it blesses his heart when we say yes to him and we're obedient to him, but he'll love us unconditionally. How was Jesus pure? He was pure in his obedience. He he was faithful to do what God the Father had him to do, no matter the personal cost or the sacrifice. And could you imagine that? That the Son of God, 
he came down to be obedient to the most painful death any human could ever imagine. And he said, yes. He said, yes. He said, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus was pure in his obedience. He never delayed when God the Father called him to do something. He was perfect in his obedience. And I, and I would look at the Gospels. Jesus was pure in his abiding with the Father. Jesus didn't entertain or give room to idols or false gods or, or even the things of the world. He was content with his relationship with the Father. So we've talked about a lot of things, this hope of glory. In our application part of this evening, I want to ask you a few questions. We talked about how this hope, or sorry, we talked about who this hope belongs to, and it belongs to the children of God. What the Lord laid on my heart for this is, are you appreciating and walking in the gift of being a child of God? I know what the world says. I know what the flesh says. I know what the enemy says. But are you appreciating and walking in the gift of being a child of God. And then the next step is this. How are you seeing others as the children of God, and are you treating them the same way? We're all one big happy family, a dysfunctional family, but a family nonetheless. And I know that Christians, we often have those hard edges. This is why we need the work of sanctification in our lives, right? But how are we relating to one another as the children of God? Are we receiving that gift and walking in it? And then how are we relating that to the other children of God? Uh, We talked about the cost of our hope, being unknown by the world. A question to take a walk with is, where is your hope placed? Is it placed on the things of the world or the promises of the glory in Christ? Are you okay with being unknown in the world? Are you okay with giving up your kingdom for the kingdom to come? Are you okay with letting your fame go that you may make Jesus famous? We talked about sanctification and the path to glorification. On your path to glory, what areas might the Lord be purifying you? As you long for and eagerly wait for the kingdom to come, the word of God says, he who has his hope in him should purify just as he is pure. So what areas might the Lord be purifying you? Are you submitting to that work or are you kicking against the goads? I knew all too often it's easy to kick, to kick against the, golds, go, the goads of the Spirit, but it also makes one Christian miserable, right? And so as soon as we give up, not try harder, but really just give up to the work of sanctification, we can let God's Spirit have its purifying work in our lives and every day know that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So are you submitting to the work of sanctification? Why or why not? I think of this, what might be the impact if I don't submit to this work of purification? It would only lead to my own brokenness. It would lead to my own hard-heartedness. It can, it can infect my relationships because sin has a way of just infecting the things that are around us. If we are being disobedient to that call of being sanctified, it affects everything about us. Do we want that in our lives? And I ask this question for you, what can you do today or tomorrow to be a better doer of God's word. We talked about this hope. Do you need to set up reminders on your phone to say live for the later? Then do it. Do you need to start praying that the Lord renews your hope and the promises to come? Maybe you've, you've, you've asked the Lord to do something and he hasn't come through just yet and that's damaged your hope and the things that God has for you. I, I would beg for you to say, Lord, would you renew my hope? Would, would you give me a steadfastness in my hope? And 
What can you do today or tomorrow to, to be a better child of God, to receive his love and then give his love? I'll say this, in the Christmas season, the best gift you can give anybody is you submitted to the work of the Spirit. Amen? Seeing transformation happen to my family or my close friends, that makes my heart happy, and I know that it blesses the Father. That's the best gift you can give to anybody. So here's the hope. One day, we will be glorified. We're not there yet, but we press on together. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and close us in a song. I'm also going to invite the prayer teams to come up on both sides of the stage because I know that as we talk about purity and holiness and sanctification, the tendency is to try harder. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to surrender. And so we surrender through this gift of prayer, just allowing God to have our burdens and inviting his spirit to to help us in every facet of our lives that we would be changed from one degree of glory to the next. So, Holy Father, the one who is already glorified, we give you ourselves. And we thank you for the promise and the doctrine of glorification that one day we will be like you, for we shall see you just as you are. And what a day that will be. But until we see you face to face, dear Lord, I pray that we would be a people submitted to the Spirit. I pray, Jesus, that we would allow justification and sanctification to take place in our hearts, that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. I pray that, Lord, in the temptations that we might experience in the day to come or the days to come, that we would be reminded by your spirit of this hope of the later, of the glory to come, and that that would allow us to walk in victory and obedience to you. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless this body. Thank you, Jesus, for this family. Thank you, Lord, that you, can, you see us and you call us your children. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you for, for being our good father. And we pray, Jesus, that you would help us in all things. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen, amen.